0: Hey everybody, welcome to Typology. I'm here in the studio with, of course, as you all know, my pal Anthony Skinner, the producer, the songwriter, the raconteur. <laughs> Ian Cron, what's going on? Man, you and I did something really cool this weekend. We then. did. So We did. We went to the pilgrimage fest. Woo-hoo! We did, and we got rained out. Biblically. It was biblical rain, <laughs> right? It was like Noah's Ark rain. Well, anyway, I got to see a couple of the bands I dig. Yeah, right. We saw. I saw Amos Lee. Amos Lee killed it. Yeah, he did kill it. He oh was my great. gosh, it was he was amazing. Great. And uh, who else did I see? I saw. Uh, what was that? The string band. Oh, the, the string me of like dust. Uh, the numbers. string yeah, Dusters. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. I'd seen them in Boulder before. Oh, had you? Yeah, but I was very stoned. It was a better show then. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. And uh uh Oh, Counting Crows. Counting Crows. So a little bit of about them before three or the Raindrop songs before they They were great. Yeah. And of course we saw Dawes Dogs. Oh my gosh. One of my favorite okay. bands. Okay, I was already I was a fan of their one song. Yes. I had no idea what I was about to encounter. Yes. Those guys are so musical. I mean, it was like amazing. Oh. And the and their lyrics, their band. lyric, they're so smart. Oh, yeah. And sounded. Killer. I mean, we have a new favorite. This this one we're about to play. We're gonna play some. We're gonna play a song. I'm not prepared. <laughs> Let's grab a guitar off the I wall. I will just put a chart on the stand and read it. All right. So our guest, okay, Miles Adcox yes. is here in the studio, and yes. this is this is our musical offering for Miles. Well, thank you, guys. <laughs> I'm so honored. The, yes. So this is this is for Miles, and the song is called "All Your Favorite Bands." So this is. Dedicated. This goes out to Miles Adcox. You ready? Late night drives and hot french fries and friends around the country. From Charlottesville to good old Santa Fe. When I think of you, you still got on that hat that says this party I hope that thing is never thrown away I hope that life without a chaperone is what you thought it'd be I hope your brother's El Camino runs forever I hope the world sees the same person that you've always been to me And may all your favorite bands stay together Now I'm just waking up and I'm not thinking clearly So don't quote me What I hope when I'm writing you Song. Ain't it funny how some people pop to your head so easily I haven't seen you in there for so long I hope that life without a chaperone is what you thought it'd be I hope your brother's El Camino runs forever I hope the world sees the same person that you've always been to me. And may all your favorite bands stay together. That life without a chaperone Is what you thought it'd be I hope your brother's El Camino runs forever I hope the world sees the same person That you've always been to me And may all your favorite bands Stay together And may all your favorite bands stay together. Oh, yeah, come on. Everybody, welcome again to to Typology. And may all your favorite bands stay together. Miles, same for you. My friend Miles Adcox. What about the line
1: before that, though?
0: I hope the world sees the same person that you've always been to me. That Come on, one. I know. Woo. There's a lot of there's a lot of that, life.
1: and then that little riff you did. I was Come bad.
0: On. He didn't even know I knew how to shred. Did you? <laughs> could you? I'm sure that while I was playing it, you you thought to yourself, "Dang." I can hear how Van Halen was a big influence on you. <laughs> That's exactly I can't what wait I thought. Because <laughs> it was so fast, <laughs> and like, right, it was amazing. God, why didn't they do that and Van for a Halen week? sort of way? All right, let's get to let's get to the really important stuff. Let's get to Miles. Everybody, if you don't know Miles Adcox, you are missing out, man. He is, well, he's a friend, and and I don't always have people on the show that that I you know that I really know, but but when I do, it's. It's really a joy. Let me tell you about him. So Miles is, he's an entrepreneur. He's a speaker. uh, He's a a host. He's a coach. And most importantly, he is the owner and CEO of Onsite. It's an internationally known emotional wellness lifestyle spot that delivers life-changing personal growth workshops, And inspiring content, right? And leadership retreats. And I like this emotional treatment. (laughs) That's something I've I've needed. And in fact, I don't know if you know this, Anthony, but I went and spent five days. I did their living-centered program workshop at OnSite. It was life-changing. amazing. Mm. Okay, so now I'm not blowing smoke. I mean, I've heard such wonderful things, honestly, from multiple people, and Mm -hmm. I've had friends that have gone through the program. Thank you. Ian being one of them now that I didn't know, but that's awesome. So the the program takes place on their campus. So they have mm-hmm. this, how many how many acres is your campus?
1: 250. Mm. Right.
0: Wow. So 250 acres. They got a, like an equine therapy program there. Wow. They're like horses walking around and stuff. You get to pet them and do your childhood work and uh, <laughs> get to rub their nose and say, trigger, heal me. And, uh, little, and play s- little play therapy. A little play therapy. And uh, I don't know how many people, how many people were, or 50, 60 people. What was it?
1: Usually, yeah, we got about fifty to sixty a week,
0: and then we break up into small groups in different rooms. And uh, I, I can't give away what we do because it's kind of like a secret sauce thing. Uh, but I can say that I wish I really do wish that experience for everybody, mm. because you're 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 able to get away mm. and begin to address unattended wounds Mm. in your life in a safe place and it i don't want to make it sound like you know we all get together like eeyore and like are bummed out the whole time right like like it like you do hard work so it's not shallow it's depth work and that that requires effort right Mm -hmm. and courage while at the same time there's a lot of laughter Mm -hmm. and joy and so it's like a wonderful cocktail of uh all the right ingredients. And these, like, at, at, I'm, not, and I'm not doing an ad here. I mean, I'm doing one indirectly out of my own experience. So I am not being paid for, <laughs> for this. But i just had personal experience. It's, it's an amazing experience. And wow. so, anyway, uh, for people who are interested, it, they can go to, on it, on-site-workshops. Dot com. Yeah. Dot com mm-hmm. and, uh, and check it out. Because they have lots of other programs besides the Living Center program. That's kind of the entry place but there are lots of other stuff you guys do you got a whole new facility or building dedicated to trauma work you've got Mm. that equine work you've got like five or seven or eight other programs that you run welcome
1: hey i'm glad to be here thank you and thanks for that thanks for sharing that it was uh when i have friends come through it it's always uh feels personal uh, but it also is intimidating because especially guys like you who I really respect your mind, the way you think. My guitar player. And your guitar, now your guitar <laughs> playing. Uh, and just your offering to the world I've looked up to. And, and it's 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 a both and. I want you there for you, clearly. But uh, for you to get a deeper look at who, what I'm involved with and what I do, it's always, you know, both and. I'm excited and I'm like, oh man, I'm nervous. I hope it goes well. And it usually does, thankfully. But thanks for sharing that about your onsite experience.
0: Well, and I can tell you that You know, given the nature of my work, which is, that I mean, I'm in the change business. You're in the change business. We're in the transformation business. Uh, Those types of things not only, you know, help your your marriage, uh, your well-being, your emotional um, life, right? All of these capacities, uh, it's like... (laughs) It's like a good rinse. You know what I mean? And, but it makes me better at what I do. So I'm terribly grateful.
1: Well, that that's the point. And I, I didn't mean for this to happen, but I'm really grateful that it did, that it's just organically become a resource, a great resource for creatives and people, and people in the helping profession or people that are putting their art out in the world to try to support mm-hmm. change. And at the end of the day, I look back at that. I feel like I owe the creative community a great debt because I didn't know how to feel until music taught me how to feel. Wow. and. I thought if I can ever do anything to keep creatives in the game, uh, that's, that's a passion of mine and, and organically it started to happen.
0: Yeah. And, and to be clear, like it's not just for artists or musicians and stuff. You know, we, I mean, I saw a lot of them there, uh, you know, you're not allowed to use your last name when you're there or tell people your profession, but it's kind of hard when you recognize people <laughs> on It's like, oh, I don't know who you are, like, you know, eight-time Grammy winner. Anyway, uh, but, you know, it's, uh, it's so it's not just for the creatives. It's really for everybody. I mean, I met insurance salesmen. I met people from around the world uh, that were doing amazing stuff and uh, trying to find, find a better place to be in the world. Now, you have a great story, but I'm gonna, we're going to get to Enneagram stuff, but... You really do have a good personal story behind site. You have your own journey that led you there. I want I want people to hear it.
1: Mm. Well, you'll have to help me abbreviate it because I don't always get asked that question about how did you get into it. I do get asked more about what is it versus how did you get into it. So thanks for asking that. And uh, I tipped my hat a little bit when I said uh, music was one of the outlets that taught me how to feel. So that should tell you a little bit about me. I... I grew up uh, in a little bit of an emotional void. It was a, a wonderful family um, who was very faithful and spiritual, and I took a lot of good stuff. It's just in the culture that we grew up in, you didn't feel a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, I uh, I feel like uh, I was somebody who came out of the wound looking. Looking for emotion, looking to feel, and I didn't have a, a great imprint for that initially. It's all what's awesome about my family is it's all evolved and it's shifting and it continues to shift. Which a lot of people don't get that gift, but I got a lot of great things from from my family. But then also I, I can't put it all on uh, family. It's just life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as as a man growing up in the South, you're not necessarily taught that feeling is a good thing, and so the absence of that or the void of Uh, being able to integrate emotion into my daily life ended up catching up with me in my early twenties. It probably caught up with me before that. And I started experiencing what I didn't know to call at that time, which was depression Mm -hmm. and anxiety. And I think I've got some of it in my family. So some of it's pre-genetic, I'm pre-genetically dispositioned to, and some of it's just situational, but I had, it didn't have a name for it. And so I did what you do. I just armed up and pretended like it didn't exist. And I thought I could man up and outpace it Mm -hmm. and man up Uh, turned into the worst advice I'd ever been given and it worked until it ran out of one runway. And then I kind of crashed. You wouldn't have even known my crash though, because I was so um, I'd gotten so good, which I know we're going to get into the interview in a minute. I'll try not to reference it yet. I'd gotten so good at trying to become who I thought the world needed me to be Mm That I just got exhausted with it. So even when my insides felt very alone and they weren't working for me anymore, mm-hmm. on the exterior I still put out, I had a smile on my face. I was somewhat successful in my career, and uh, but I was just miserable and lonely and knew I was headed towards a bad place personally. And thankfully, I'd had enough. Uh, of a, a solid imprint growing up that I knew I had to do something. Um, I was bumping up against integrity. I was numbing it out in a lot of unhealthy ways. They were, it was, well, it was fun for a little while until it wasn't fun anymore. And I wound up uh, being in dire need of counsel. And And it was a, a bumpy road that got me to the place of the right people coming around me at the right time to speak into me. And, and the lights kind of started to come back on. And man, when they did. I fell in love with the change process. Mm-hmm. I think I was always wired and maybe meant to be a part of that, to be walking along people's journey as they walk through transition and hard stuff. If you go back into my story in childhood, I'd always done that, whether it was bringing home, uh, stray dogs or always, uh, just had, uh, the outliers or the misfits mm-hmm. were part of my community. And, uh, and then I had this opportunity to have a personal transformation, which turned into a professional pursuit it was like two weeks in. Um, I knew, I was like, I don't know how, I don't know why, but I know I have to be a part of this. So I didn't even know what was out there in terms of change resources or therapeutic resources, but I started exploring it and I completely switched careers and got into the helping profession. But what drove me to onsite after working in the rehab space and doing crisis interventions for a while was that I love those spaces and but they're pretty predictable in terms of somebody usually hits a pretty bad bottom and then they end up in your care. You do the best you possibly can with them, put up good resources around them, suit them up, head them back out into the world and hope for the best. And that was was an amazing experience, honestly, Uh, to get to see people at their worst and show them what they don't expect, which is their best, um, was kind of gut level grace in a way that I'd never experienced it. And I started asking the question at that time, why is this only available for people lucky enough to have a face plant moment in life Mm. and get the right resources around them? What about the rest of us? Because I grew up in church. I grew up in in a lot of good influences, but I'd never felt grace like that, like I did in rehab. And I thought, how do we take that and make that into a product that gives everybody else an opportunity to do a deep dive on their narrative Mm. and experience this kind of grace because it changes you. And so that's what ultimately, it was a long story that got me to, to, to site and, and getting, you know, kind of retooling and getting this whole thing going. But it was ultimately wanting to make the door wider and give more people an opportunity to reconcile pain and be free, be free emotionally and be free creatively.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, I remember when I first heard you, you tell your story, I was like two weeks in to rehab. <laughs> <laughs> You've already got an idea uh which you know for something to do that uh, and and beautifully but to to help to help people and of course what's amazing is not only did you do it you did it you know n- you know on a large scale you know it's not mm-hmm. a, you didn't take on a small a small project there and you know there's an example where when a three puts their their talents right their healthy threeness to to work, it can become such a, a beautiful thing. And I, I actually noticed when I was there that, um, you know, you've got a lot of other staff, right? Hmm. Uh, and, you know, an unhealthy three would be looking for every opportunity to get up front, and I hardly saw you. I maybe hmm. saw you twice, you know. And so what I did feel is you were so supportive of your team, hmm. and uh, you really wanted to spotlight them. And, uh, that sounds like a three who in health goes to the high side of six mm. and they really are just willing not to drive the bus, willing not to be in the spotlight, willing to be part of a team and really helping other people
1: succeed. That's a, that's a great sign. Mm. That's honestly, uh, important for me to hear, uh, cause I have, I'm not an Enneagram expert whatsoever, uh, and people assume because I'm in the space that I'm in, that I know a lot about it. And I'm, a, to be honest, I, I don't, um, I, I've read your book. I have followed your work and you've been kind enough to come out and train our team. And, but I, I still wrestle with that number. And so even hearing that you speak into that, um, is affirming and, and exciting. Cause I, I look at both sides of it and I'm sure maybe I'll, this will turn into a counseling session for me, which I am open to, uh, around, uh, my number, but I've, I've struggled with it. I got to a point where I was sitting, you know, in Nashville, especially, but I know everywhere it's trending. um, And you can't sit around a fire anywhere without somebody bringing up the Enneagram. And I was always the on-site guy. So people just assumed like, well, he'll know about it. This has something to do with psychology and personalities and all. And uh, and I felt left out. I always felt inept because I'm like, I really don't. For one reason or another, I'd never had the opportunity to study it or be put in front of me until just really the last year or two. And then part of it's your influence and getting to know you. But uh, what an amazing tool, yet I feel like a baby in the beginning of it, of learning how it can impact me. And then,
0: yeah. So, yeah, you, you self-identify, for the moment anyway, as a as a three, uh, an achiever, um, a person who who sees a world in which... People only value others for what they can do versus for who they are, and uh, these people tend to be driven, task-oriented, visionaries, goal crushers. (laughs) Uh, And you know, I've never met one that wasn't a workaholic when they weren't very healthy, uh, because success is everything. They want to avoid failure at all costs, and threes and twos threes and fours are all types that are more concerned with seeming than being Mm. they're more concerned about their image they're more concerned about a projecting an image uh they're different images and uh and of course yours is as the star you know the star and you you really are if you're a three somebody that it's very, very concerned about what other people think of you mm. and how they see you, and do they admire you? Um, and you're, uh, if you're a three, you're always able to look into everybody's eyes and respond instinctively to whether or not they're approving you or of you in the moment or disapproving you in the moment, mm. and then tweaking to make sure it stays on approval, you know, uh, even if you have to abandon well. Even abandoning your true self mm. in order to project the image that you intuitively know that person mm. needs to see for you, for them to love you. Mm. Does that sound like you? Let's, let's hone in on whether or not you're a three person. Does that sound like you? Let's say back when you were on health, let's say at 20, 18, no, not now, but maybe then.
1: Well, oddly enough, the first time that I, I think it was, it was more than a year. I think it was a couple of years back. I had a friend who, uh, studied the Enneagram and they, we got online to take that, uh, test that 20, 30 minute test. And she had advised me to take it, uh, as if I was before the age of 20 or 25, I'm trying to remember. And when I tried to answer those questions at that, from that age, I tested as a seven. Mm-hmm. Which was very strange to me because I'm if you on the Myers Briggs I'm right on the line uh, between introversion and extroversion. It seems like the older I get, the more introverted I get. So the it it was I didn't when I read about the seven I was like I don't feel like a seven at all today. That doesn't relate. But if you would have known me pre twenty, I was way more extroverted. I was becoming as much as I possibly could who I thought the world needed me to be. And so therefore I was not secure enough in myself to walk into new settings and new conversations and not be a big voice and try to manufacture a big personality. But actually I can be socially awkward. I can be a little bit shy, uh, but you wouldn't have known that at that age. So when I started getting deeper into it, uh, I started identifying more and more with a three. So to answer your question, Yes, there's a lot of what you just shared that really feels uh, like it lines up well. I think one of the hard things I've had with being a three is you mentioned the un- some of the unhealthy sides of it, which is always seeking approval and trying to be on and performing. And where I'm in a business, I'm the face of a business in a sense, or one of um, to where it's the, that's the antithesis of what we try to teach. And I'll, be, I'll I'll be honest, I still struggle with that some. I I, I make no I got into this business chasing the healing of my own story like Mm -hmm. a lot of people who get into the helping profession either they know it now or they'll know it later (laughs) um but I I know that and I'd like to be further along than I am in terms of the health of my three and I appreciate you acknowledging some of the health because I agree but I wish I didn't care as much about what people think but the fact that I'm owning now that I do tells me that three could be a good fit
0: so you and I are speaking, actually, at Catalyst. We, we're both on the main stage of Catalyst. Like, what is that, 10 days from now?
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Is that close? Wow. I hope we've got to work
0: on our talks. <laughs> yeah, what? We have, to, I have to, we have to work on our talks. I haven't gotten around to that yet. Yeah. Um, but so as you think about being in front of 9,000 people, talk, you know, that? it's the, <laughs> don't get horrified. I, th- I thought <laughs> they said 900. Uh, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> dang yeah no i mean so you're gonna be in front of nine thousand people now i know you've done a ton of speaking right like for a lot of threes man that's that's heaven on earth you know to have you know uh that many people listening to the story uh you all tend to appear uh you know show up at something like that incredibly well prepared and ready to crush it now let me ask you a question What's the first thing you think when you get off that stage? Because you've spoken in places like that before. What's the first thing you think of or feel when you walk off the stage and you're done?
1: Wow, that's a great question. I would say I immediately, although I'm doing it in the moment, but I'm immediately self-assessing at that point. How did you do? Did the message land? Did you engage? Did uh, Did you give them an experience? I am... As you know, all things on site, we try to do everything experientially, uh, which is uh, the way my brain learns. So that's hard to do as a speaker, especially when you're just delivering cognitively information and content. But I, I, if, I if I don't curate some kind of experience for the audience to feel something, um, then I'm, con- I'm judging that pretty quickly. Like, how did you connect? So first thing I think is, how'd you do when I mm-hmm. walk off the stage? And I'm right. usually walking through the layers of that
0: when you go off stage, do you like uh, look for opportunity for positive feedback from people? Like, you know, you you don't like to admit it to yourself, but you, you know, you, you kind of find your way to people that, you know, might stroke you or, or you know what I mean? Or. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I am a, a relationally a words of affirmation uh, guy, uh, which might be telling, but I don't look for that immediately. I kind of, initially I don't, seek out or am not necessarily ready for the feedback. Right. It takes me a minute to be able to, I want it, but not right away. Mm-hmm. Cause usually I'm given enough of it internally to myself. It's like good, bad, or indifferent. And, uh, but I don't mind it. I won't say I wouldn't, if people wanted to come up and give me affirmation, I certainly, it's probably good for me. Mm.
0: Cause you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, threes are looking yeah. for words of admiration Uh, the looks even of people being impressed with what they did or who Mm -hmm. they are. Um, Which ironically, since we all are looking for love in this life, right, uh, and connection, when you're such a rock star, it actually separates you from other people more than if you weren't. Mm -hmm. Have you ever experienced loneliness as a result of being someone who's so accomplished and has achieved so much?
1: Yeah, and I I don't think I, you know, having the opportunity to work with people that have much bigger platforms that have achieved a lot more, uh, I've seen that on a bigger scale, the divide, the disconnect, the loneliness. Um, but in this new season, I will say I'm facing some of the very things that I've been able to support people to walk through, which is the dilemma of being a public profession. And, and then I'm asking big questions to myself, Can I step into this and scale impact, which I'm excited about doing that, that part of the three definitely speaks to me is how do we scale impact and grow our offering, be successful with it. But can you do that and authentically stay grounded in the message that you're trying to teach? That's a big question I'm asking. Okay. So
0: we could talk a long time about that, right? Uh, because in the last two years, especially a little bit before that, but in the last two years, you know, after the release of The Road Back to You, and it, you know, it's by, by some grace or whatever we call it, has done infinitely better than I ever thought it mm. would have done. I'm, you know, I'm finding in my travels, doing so much speaking with other people, being with other people in different settings, that um, a lot of what I have, what I've typically gone out and told people, or shared with people that I think is the good life, I'm not actually living. Mm. It's bizarre. It's like, you know, because I'm out running around so much, I'm not actually living the life I preach. Mm. Uh, And so, you know, there's a lot of misalignment that I haven't anticipated as a result of being more of a public figure than I ever was. And uh,
1: I don't know if that's what you were just saying, but if if it is, I get it. Yeah, and and to me, it's... It's interesting. It's not, I'm checking things off the list and putting some boundaries around my work life balance, but it doesn't feel integrated. And so that's the part I really relate to. And that's a big learning for me. In other words, I can, I'm not working 18 hours a day. Like I was at one point in my career. I'm going home at the appropriate time. In most cases, I'm not over traveling. I'm doing some things right. But when I'm there, I'm not there right now. Mm. which is a, another interesting dilemma that it's, it's new for me. It's like, I, I, and I, this just came up at a spiritual retreat. I was at is they, we had this group on rest, you know, what does rest look like? And I think people knew that that was part of what we do, you know, deliver, I deliver as my profession is helping people balance out rest versus passion and all that stuff. And they thought I would have all the tools and tips and the formula. And right. the sad thing is, is I am, putting a formula to it, one in which I prescribe to other people and it's been helpful it's not working for me right now. Mm-hmm. I don't feel grounded or connected or present in my family like I know I can be and have been at times. So when you
0: you say you're not present, where are you? Now, if you're not there, tell me where you are.
1: Well, I'm thinking about some of the things we're talking about. It's uh opportunity, And I'm all, I don't know if this is part of, well, you can tell me, I won't analyze myself in the process, but I don't know if this is part of it, but I, as much as I believe in and understand the idea of not coming through the lens of scarcity when it comes to your, your professional life, I sometimes operate that way, especially in transition. Sometimes my stress response is more when I'm going through transition as opposed to less. And so I'll add on more. I'll say yes to more stuff that I probably don't need to be saying yes to. And I think I'm in that season right now of swimming in abundant opportunities and keeping the door open enough because I don't always know if I'll have them again. And whether I do them or not, they're in my head. I'm constantly thinking about opportunity and scale and growth and what we should be doing. And so that's, that's been a dilemma on my sleep and on my presence recently. Mm. it's somewhat new but it's very prevalent so
0: again I think that's consistent with a three right about being a builder growing stuff Um, and you know things like scale and productivity effectiveness efficiencies uh, team building toward a goal right Mm. Uh, and that's a gift and like anything else it's a curse right if it becomes something we over rely on or become fixated on Instead of as you, I love the word integration like you do, which, you know, means wholeness uh, mm. versus being a disintegrated person, you mm. know, living a disintegrated life. And I, uh, I, I applaud you for taking time out to go on that retreat with, you know, my friend Richard Rohr, right? yes, yeah. two, two weeks out in, Santa, in Albuquerque and. I just spent five days in Boulder on a mountain, just for this very reason in this mm. season of life of just i have to step back and ask myself, what do you want because mm. if you don't want if you don't know what you want, other people will tell you mm. what you want and uh because they have an interest in what you do, you know what I mean so uh you do you have to set up boundaries and determine what are my values what and it may be completely opposite of what people think you should do, and that is not a good place to be.
1: Well, it's not and and I'm glad you said that because it's it's not easy to set the boundaries even. So I'm proud of that part. A lot of people struggle with that part. I'm proud I'm doing that, but even just coming back from that retreat, I I needed margin more than I needed anything else. I needed to give my brain a rest and to have input. I think I've been putting a lot of output. And when I got it, especially from somebody as wise as is Roar and some of the other teachers there, I walked away feeling spiritually and emotionally grounded. It, but more or less free. And I forgot that I had worked my way into that space mm-hmm. that I could be authentic and integrated with who I am and who I'm becoming. And there's freedom in that. And I got wound up again. I was in that wound up place to where uh, the tools were there, uh, but I didn't know I had permission to live them. Yeah. So um, going back to, you know, nailing
0: down your type, cause we don't know. I don't know if you're a three, you you sound three uh, yeah. or let me say this way. You, you have, you know, hallmark features of, of threes. Um, uh, but that doesn't mean, you know, people are more complex than their type. In fact, people aren't even their type. Hmm. That's what I'm always telling people, you know, just, <laughs> you know, you're not your type. All right. So when, you know, uh, because we're talk you're not sure about type, let's say, right? Hmm. And so this is a great thing for everybody of all types. Uh, typically here, even on typology, the way that we get a type is by trying to figure out the unconscious motivation, that is actually underneath the waterline of people's thoughts, feelings, right, and behaviors. Because if you're just working above the waterline, you're just moving furniture around. It's not, you you're, You may experience some positive benefit, but not like if you get beneath into the limiting beliefs of our narratives, our stories. Mm. And also, fact is, is that your Enneagram type is in part driven, uh, how do I want to say this? It's a strategy that you, you learned in childhood for dealing with childhood trauma. Mm. And everybody got trauma back there. It doesn't have to be something gigantic, right? But we, these are also strategies for dealing with trauma. So the, the way that it, the trauma that a three might have experienced as a kid is like, well, I don't want to experience that again. You know, we're, mm. <laughs> that wasn't good. So I'm going to become an achiever. Uh, I, I perceived a message about achievement. And maybe if I do that, I'm just not going to get hurt again. Mm -hmm. If I just live that life, it will protect me against trauma of Mm -hmm. some kind. So one of the ways we learn about people and their types is through what are called Hornevian groups, based on the work of Karen Horneye, or stances. And what they indicate for us is the social style of each type. But I want you to listen to this because, Miles, I want you to figure out maybe, okay, well, it's going to narrow it down, right? We're going to get to a finer Mm -hmm. distinction here. So what the stance reveals is the direction we move in in relationship to other people. All right. And there are three styles. One is the, uh, the assertive style. And then there's the withdrawing style and the earning style. And there's a bunch of other words for that last one. But earning is fine for us. Right. So if you're in the assertive group, right, those are threes, sevens and eights. Right. And they insist or demand that they get what they want. All right. And Mm. I'll explain that in a moment. Withdrawing stance, which is I'm in, four, fives, and nines, they tend to withdraw or move away from engagement with others to get what they want. Mm. Okay. And then the earning types, which are ones, twos, and sixes, or they're sometimes called the dependent types, earn or do what's expected of them in order to get what they want. Mm. does that make sense yeah okay so oftentimes when i'm working with people i don't talk about unconscious motivations first i start going down on their stances mm. right because i can start eliminating things eliminating types right so I, well, let me ask you this uh the assertive group three sevens and eights uh move They're move they're in a moving against stance Okay. Alex, here's what that means They're very focused on themselves and acting in a manner to gain what they want or desire. And this is the type that thinks about what they want and they act to gain whatever it is. And they're very assertive, second nature to them, right? Uh, They engage quickly. Like, for example, an eight actually is pretty iconic of of this type. Uh, what they do is they can sometimes move a, uh, toward people in a spirit of aggression to get what they want. Uh, a seven, assertion for them is like uh, is seen in the way they pursue new things and asserting their right to have fun. Like, God forbid you get in the way of a seven who wants fun and limit their, their activities. You know, they get really pissy pretty fast. You know what I mean? And uh, so that's the that triad those stances does that three that i just described sound like you
1: you you mean of those three which i relate to the most or do you Well,
0: did you when i talked about threes for a moment uh and did that sound like you were that stance like you you really move toward people in order to get what you want and to
1: gain it to earn it the assertive yes yes yeah okay I do that and a lot of people are surprised by that because I can be um soft spoken and uh I don't know if I'm passive maybe sometimes in certain scenarios, but in my professional life i I'm pretty direct and really am drawn to people who are direct
0: yeah okay, right who just put it right out there yeah right who are honest straight shooters you take do you do do conflict well i do okay uh do you take criticism well i do all right uh can i be you (laughs) i think you're living my life man
1: what the heck i thought we were role reversing for now i I need counseling
0: good lord (laughs) You do all the stuff that I don't. <laughs> God, give me a drink. Anyway, um, all right. So, so you're not in that what we would call the com- the compliance stance, right, or the ones or dependent stance, which are ones, twos, and sixes. Well, when i like-
1: when I can, and, and of course, you said, do you do these well? Yeah, but there, there are times when unhealth or in stress or that I would avoid it, and right. so you don't. I don't think you do anything well all the time, uh, but I right. do those well pretty well. Most of the yeah. time, like I, I, yeah. I get brought into conversations when as a way to do conflict, uh, in balance, direct and soft skill, uh, with emotional intelligence. And I'm pre- I am pretty good at that, but sometimes at home, you know, I'll be in stress and at work and I'll, I won't deal with conflict with my wife for a while. So I've got the shadow side of that too.
0: So, um, I play guitar. Well, all the time, just so you know, Mm. yeah, I don't take criticism well all the time, but I do play guitar well. I'm just kidding. I'm actually a pretty sucky guitar player. It's it's awfully humbling to live in Nashville, I can tell you that. To be a guitar player in Nashville is pretty pathetic. I can do six chords in a pinch. Um, All right, so as a three, if you are a three, in my experience of you, because we spent a week in Montana together fly fishing with a bunch of other guys and stuff. I was actually rather surprised at how uh withdrawn's not the right word. But in the background you were. Hmm. Like, you know, threes are usually work in a room. Hmm. If they're not very self aware, uh or uh, even if they are, they'll do it with more self awareness. But they're 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 moving toward people and they they tend to want to get to know each other. They tend to pick out the people in the room who are the power players. They mm. want to move toward people who have influence. They want to befriend them. If they're not healthy, they're doing it because they think, well, maybe this person can further my success, <laughs> right? Uh or it's just because I want to be known as a as a winner and so winners hang out with winners. Mm. Uh sometimes they'll meet somebody who's not a winner and they'll be like, "Okay, I got to go because you are not in, you're not you're not advancing my program." Mm. Uh so, but I was surprised. some a little bit of that three thing is different for you, right? You are more soft-spoken, more introverted than a lot of threes. Um, I wouldn't say you're a hardcore introvert. Do you know what you test uh, like on a Myers-Briggs introvert, extrovert? Um,
1: I'm... Oh, uh, you mean the four? It's been a while since I've done that. But
0: yeah, Just generally, are you an introvert or an extrovert?
1: Oh, no, no, introvert, extrovert. I'm right on the line, but I shaded towards extroversion five years ago when I took that Myers-Briggs the last time. Yeah, I think
0: they call that an ambivert. Uh, Literally, they call that an ambivert, which is what I am. Mm, I love to be alone. I love to be with people. I get energy from both places, even though those words mean more than where you get energy. That's for sure where I live. Mm. I can... I'm blessed with being able to get it from from both places. Same, uh, and it may be that I spotted that because you're you're pretty healthy, or you were wrestling with stuff and just kind of kind of uh, going into the woods to lick wounds like all animals do, mm. you know. But you didn't really strike me like some people do. You know, they're just they're out there just working it, mm. working it, and uh, they want to be really seen. That three really wants to be seen. And I wasn't picking that up from you. Is that a fair assessment?
1: I think so. And I remember we talked about that briefly, not through Enneagram language, but you, it was funny. You were a guy. I think both of us were hoping to get to spend a little more time together because we had connected. Right. It's like, Ooh, I like this in guy. And we were going to be in Montana and we did, you know, we really didn't. We came back and we laughed about it on the way home. It's like, well, I think we spent more time at home than we did out here. Yeah. And I think it somewhat you described is probably true. I think, there was a part of me in that season when I, and when I went out there that I had fallen back into that pattern of cre- developing too many acquaintances and not many friends. Mm. And I can move that way sometimes because of what you describe. So I do like people. I find them fascinating and interesting. And I like, uh, you know, I, I have said before, I want to be friends with that person. And i would never really tested the motivation down to what's it, how's it going to benefit me? Uh, but I'm sure that's there. Uh, there wouldn't, I wouldn't have had the interest if I, there wasn't a benefit anchored in there somewhere personally or professionally. But I remember that I, I was trying, I'm constantly assessing. So I was scaling back at that point, maybe in a part of, uh, working on myself to be like, you know, going into this, you don't need to go come out of here with 12 new best friends. Right. Cause you, you, it's not sustainable to have that many people and nobody, you know, well,
0: yeah. Oh, And so many of us, every type on the Enneagram, but certain types really need to learn, like twos, for example, uh, threes, to an extent. Um, I'd say mm, sixes to to sevens for sure. Uh, They collect people. Mm. Uh, They're interested in people for different reasons, but they're very people-oriented. And, you know, one of the things I've had to learn is and I told my son this the other day. He's a seven and has a million friends, and I think does feel sometimes like uh, a million friends, but but not many, very very deep ones. I don't mm-hmm. think he'd mind me sharing that. He's really he's working on it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I've just recently learned and told my son, "Hey, man, you can only have so many friends. Like, you actually have to discipline yourself mm-hmm. to say." I you know I can't service all these people. I mm. you know I can't, you know, otherwise I'm a hummingbird jumping from one relationship to the next trying to keep everybody mm. happy, juggling a million friendships like plates, you know. Mm. And you die in a pile and you're not satisfied, and they definitely are not satisfied because mm. they feel like you're not giving them enough attention, you're distracted or just not available time-wise. So I've just right now like I get calls as I'm sure you do like people say, "Hey man, I want to get to know you. Let's have coffee." And it's like, I got to start to say, I can't. Mm. Like, I can only have so many friends mm. and and have a, a life where it feels like they're meaningful friendships.
1: That sounds a little bit
0: like I think every three or two
1: needs to needs to work on that. I'm constantly in that battle of I'll get out of balance on this side and then start and try to reel it back in. And I noticed recently something I've been working on is I... There's a part of our work being in the helping profession. We have a, a whole team that does admissions, meaning our intakes and admissions, meaning they fill calls when people are trying to figure out what to do around something that they're dealing with, or they call about a loved one. And I haven't done that in years because we got people that do it that are way better at it than I am, these intake counselors. But I notice when I get in this season of scarcity, um, m- moving away from close people, I'll pick it up over there. And so like if I retreat a little bit and it's like, all right, stop going out and trying to talk to everybody and get to know everybody. Then I'll start suddenly taking 20 calls a day from people that will call my cell phone and say, Hey, can, I've got a cousin that's dealing with addiction. I need to know what to do with them. And I can fill my whole schedule with those. And I have zero margin for those most of the time. And I've got a team, as I say, that's better at it than I am. But there's some need I get met from that. One is I'm, I'm good at it because I've got experience. I've been doing it a long time, but the value of being able to relieve someone quickly, because you know, resources, and you know how to triage and tell them what to do and where to go right. versus them getting lost on the internet. But that's been something as of yesterday, I was at nine 30 at night on the phone with somebody I didn't even know. That was a friend of a friend out in California trying to help. And I thought, what am I doing? Not that I don't have the compassion for the people that I'm on the phone with, but at the cost of who, well, in that case, it was the cost of me and family time. So I just I, I don't know why I share that other than I just had an awareness that when I walk away from community to try to get healthy, I'll get that need met on, on the side in my work. Right. Isn't that interesting? So um, you're on this campus.
0: It is a beautiful campus. You got this dining hall. You got all these other spaces, right? I'm wondering, you're in your office, let's say, and you're not maybe being particularly self-aware or whatever, maybe you feel like I need to go to the dining hall at lunch and m- maybe because, you know, I run the place and, I'm you know, people see me on Oprah or whatever, Dr. Phil, you know, all these shows you've been on and because I struggle with envy would like to be on. <laughs> uh, so you you go to, do you ever find yourself like migrating towards spaces where you know you're going to go, where people know you, probably admire you from a distance in order to get your fix?
1: I do, yeah. And I hadn't thought about it quite like that, but the, the, you just listed the perfect example, because when I am on campus and I'm overly booked meeting meetings all day, um, I am exhausted by the end of the day, if it's nine one-on-one meetings and I don't ever get to float and go see people and experience what they're, what's going on. And so I will make an effort to go up during mealtimes just to touch points with people who I know or I don't know that are in programs, or to say hello, or even I'll, to walk up the tables and just say how how you guys doing, introduce myself. They some it's not I'm not everybody. I'm not that big of a deal to be honest. I, my team is incredible. Um, some people know me as is the guy CEO of Onsite. A lot of people come to Onsite because of Onsite. and They don't have any clue who I am. So I like being able to walk up to and saying how's the hospitality, how's the space, how's your program. But yes, I do uh, get energy from that.
0: Do you get energy from the, you know, I mean, you get energy from learning about how people are doing and stuff, but is there a part of you that's getting energy from the strokes? You are looking, I mean, you, you find yourself kind of looking for the, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? As you walk around a room? Yeah.
1: I mean, if I'm honest, especially thinking into the layer of that question, you know, I could write that off or deflect and say, well, of course, I need to know how we're doing because if I need to hear directly from our customers and guests how onsite's doing. But how onsite's doing is directly uh, tethered to how I'm doing. And so I'd, I, yeah, I, I probably do get, uh, well, I probably, I'm sure I do get something out of that interaction.
0: All right. So, you know, there are subtypes, you know, about the subtypes and enneagrams. You, the enneagrams. Do you know which subtype you are?
1: No, that's something I'd love to unpack All with
0: you. All right. Check this out. You may be, there's a subtype I'm thinking of, and this may explain why you've had trouble figuring out whether, you've had, you've been on the wall a little mm-hmm. bit. On the, I have, on, the have fence, been on the fence about three. So there's one subtype of the three that looks counter to what, a three is, but they have the same unconscious motivation of needing to be a success, avoiding failure, uh, finding their value and self esteem. But if vanity, which is kind of the vice of the three, it is the vice of the three, right? It's vanity, deceit as well. But vanity is a, a word might be more apt better here. Um, they actually are vain about not appearing vain. Mm they have a vanity around not struggling with vanity this is why if you are this particular subtype of the 3 they are the hardest people to convince they're actually threes ah they often will say no i'm a 6 mm. because 6s you know are great at putting the spotlight on other people now so this type is very good at helping other people they get a sense of success from actually making helping others become a success
1: i love that i mean that part i do enjoy that part
0: so part of their vanity is look at me and how good i am mm. at making other people's a success mm. so in other words this type actually oftentimes struggles more with self-deceit than the other two threes because it's like no 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 i'm always helping other you know and uh you know i don't mind being out of the spotlight i like to get other people into the spotlight but that's part of the vanity that's success you see where i'm going mm-hmm. it's like uh i have a friend of mine who's a manager for a really big band and he's like, oh, i like being on the side of the stage and making other people a success and i'm like dude your threeness is your success the reason you shine is in part because uh you're you are making other people a success but you want other people to see you as the guy that is successful at making others a success. Mm. Does that ring true? It's a little hard to explain, but I think I, I did No, a good I job. mean
1: I, I get it. I'm I'm trying to because I will say one thing that my dad particularly instilled in me and I got to watch him do it, was uh he he was a he never wanted the spotlight. I watched him avoid it his whole life and there were things that he would do in the community that I wouldn't know about until six, eight years later. And so it was almost, but I don't understand the shadow side of that other than I always looked at that that's humility and you got to be really careful if you go the other way. And so recently when people have been trying to position me, even our, my own team is like, okay, wow, suddenly we got on site and then now uh, your name is kind of becoming a brand. I'd get my skin crawls with that idea, even though I know I'm supposed to, i supposed to, I feel like I'm being called to step into it in support of the whole mission. I'd, not as willingly as I've seen other friends right. who have broken out and been like, love does and Bob golf and other friends who really embrace that. Right. And I say embrace, it's not fair. I've never really dug in with Bob, even though he's one of my best friends and said, what's it like to be your own brand? But I just watch how he moves towards, um, in such an open way. And I tend to stiff arm and push back and struggle. And I wow. don't know if that's healthy or not. Is that not. because
0: you don't, let me ask you a question. Cause this will really help us. Okay. Is it because you think that being in the spotlight, having a brand, uh, being seen and admired by other people, is uh, uh, unvirtuous? Is not the word? But uh, is inconsistent with your desire? Like that's not in your mind. That's not a good thing. That that's that uh, that it's just not a virtue to it's vain it's not a virtue and it doesn't fit your ideal self which is being good if that makes sense not a goody-goody but being good and like doing the right thing and all that stuff does that
1: sound it does yeah i do think i've got i'm programmed in that way that would i have some old i'm tethered to some old script that says that's dangerous and it's not good. Now the rational part of my brain would tell you, I know that's not true because I work with so many people that use it for good. And that's where I feel like I'm trying to uncomfortably go, but I struggle with it because of that old message. Now I've done my own work, not around Enneagram, but my own work around that. And I've always bumped into shame. So when I've done shame reconciliation work, it's who I think I deserve to be and stay in your place. Mm. And so that's, uh, historically, when I got involved and in, in got on site going, it was you need to be the guy behind the curtain. That's your calling. And then the last few years, it's like, nope, it's time to step out. You can have a bigger impact this way and support more people this way. And I'm trying to figure out what part of that's tethered to my ego, trying to get the need back versus what part's healthy. And yeah.
0: Well, you know, we're, we're all pesto and pasta, right? It's a mixed bag mm. and we can't really separate it uh, out. We can't compartmentalize those things. We just become be, – be self-aware people from moment to moment and mm-hmm. figure out, okay, now, h- how am I doing in terms of, you know, making sure that I'm I'm on the right side of, of this wall? You know, I'm not on the wrong side of the wall and getting myself into trouble and, and being on autopilot and trying to get knees met in ways that aren't appropriate.
1: One One, to show my card a little bit, and I hope by – this curiosity or analyzing that um, by all means not trying to dodge because you're asking some great questions and I do want to know these things, but uh, a telling sign is that I'm now entered a new space where more people pay attention to what I have to say. As I say, I still small potatoes compared to others, but people pay attention. And so now I'm getting some critique, which before then I could kind of be Switzerland and nobody knew and, and the way that hits me, um, I'd love to say, oh, yeah, I've done all my personal work and it doesn't bother me at all. It can eat my lunch. I mean, I can read one thing that somebody says on Instagram or somewhere else that chant or critiques something I did. Or even if they're just, you know, online trolls or bullies and I can sit with it for two days and just really? be in. kind of Yeah. And so that tells me that I do have some kind of ego tied up in being seen in a certain way. The fact that it impacts me so much, don't you think?
0: Yeah, because it, it it's inconsistent with the image of the person you think you should be, and the image that you want others to have of you. So if if you're a self preservation three, uh, you would, um, how would I say this? Uh, you would say that vanity is inconsistent with what it means to be a good person. The you know it's an it violates your ethic a little bit uh and you would be very much more concerned with issues of personal survival and security you know like home kids uh finances um versus a social three which is kind of the more stereotypical three that wants to drive you know maybe be a really appear like a hot shot they want to flaunt success the, mm-hmm. se- the to a self-preservation three flaunting success is not a good thing it's inconsistent with the ethic of goodness. I
1: definitely feel that's true.
0: Well, maybe that's it. So, so. I'm going to encourage you. I don't know, but you go home and you read about self-preservation threes because they don't look like threes. Mm. And they are the hardest to convince they are a three because they have a vanity around not being vain. <laughs> yep. So that's the deceit, the self-deceit part mm. about, about it. All right, listen, so I'm going to close this up. And so what I want to do before I do, though, is I want everybody to— to be hip to to on-site and and to your podcast the mm. unspoken
1: is that what it's called the, yeah, unspoken, the unspoken podcast, podcast yeah are very quickly why why is it called that well um i did a ted talk on this it should be coming out soon and it was just this idea when i looked at the gosh the 50 60 thousand we we've been fortunate to have come through workshops and somebody asked me to synthesize down what is that you actually do with people not how you do it and what you're doing i really looked and you know, we have a lot of creative ways to help people say the unsaid. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's looking back into their story and reconciled old scripts. Sometimes it's uh, making a statement. And sometimes it's speaking going forward. And so the subtitle, the, the titles, the unspoken podcast, the subtitles, why saying the unsaid may be one of the hardest but most important things we'll ever do. Mm. And so it's ultimately supporting people to speak truth into their story and into their narrative and reconcile pain. And so that's kind of what we are doing with this podcast is I ask a friend of mine who is not in my profession. She's just got an amazing story of having overcome an unthinkable circumstance, but she's this safe vessel for people. And I wanted it. and she's my yin and yang. I'm kind of serious and she's really whimsical and funny. And I wanted a male-female perspective for one. And I also wanted to have honest conversations that support people to speak truth into their narrative without it feeling like counseling. And I, there's, there's some really good counseling podcasts out there, Esther yes. Perel, and some others that I'm a fan of. But that was too predictable for us. It's almost like, well, if Miles does something, it's going to be in the mental health lane. Right. And it is, but it's not. It's just honest conversations because if there's anything I hope to do and that I, is my passion, it's to bring the origins of mental health and change into mainstream conversation, mm. depathologize it, and it's getting there. I'm so happy that the paradigm is shifting. We still got a long ways to go. Yeah,
0: I, I I'm not sure if I'm going to get this quote correct, and you probably know it, but you know that great quote from Maya Angelou about there, there is no greater agony than to bear. Uh, an untold story Mm. and uh, or unspoken the uh, oh man we need that quote yeah I remember it now but I had not thought about or you know addressing what one poet calls history's unmade beds Mm. and everybody got an unmade bed in a hidden room Mm. that is uh, is calling to them so anyway listen everybody I want to tell you something you got to go to onsiteworkshops.com and you got to learn if you're interested in these life changing workshops, like I said, like they got a daring way based on Brene Brown's mm-hmm. work workshop. They got, you know, uh, healing around issues of money. Uh, tr- they've got a program in trauma. They've got uh, sort of individual intensives that you can do, like I just described, that, that my friend Michael does. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Living Center program is a great entry point for everybody. Like you don't have to have any of those. It's just for anybody. Right, mm-hmm. it fits everybody there's one on life after loss which is about grief work I think mm-hmm. is that correct um, so all these workshops are amazing beautiful 250 acre campus a great staff mm-hmm. uh, and and do me a favor when you actually and again I'm not you know making dough on this pitch it's because I experienced it mm-hmm. uh, but if you do call and you do it do me a favor and tell them that you heard it on typology you probably asked that question on an on intake form anyway Yeah, uh, but I mean I just i can't you know commend what you're doing enough check Mm -hmm. out the unspoken podcast and then i think across your social media platforms it's just at miles at cox right Mm -hmm. m-i-l-e-s-a-d-c-o-x hey man i'm glad you you were here today what a delight and i i just i admire you and i mean that in the best sense of the word and take it that way i hope in the in the into the best place of who you are
1: Well, it fits with the theme of where I've been going lately and that this last hour feels life-giving to me. I mean, a lot of times when you're on a podcast, people want to hear your expertise and want you to speak into what you know. And I didn't, gosh, I didn't feel like any of that. I felt like you really spoken to me. And I'll I'll walk away from this learning more about who I am and even more curious. And so thank you, man.
0: My pleasure. Self-Preservation 3. Go home and check it out. (laughs) I'm on it. Go home and check it out. Anthony, (laughs) my brother, you know what I want you to do? What? Like like I want everybody to do. <laughs> Be yourself. Everybody else is already, is already taken. taken. <laughs> <laughs> we'll check in with you next week. From Ian Morgan Cron, Anthony Skinner, we'll see you later. See ya.